Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. <laughs> what are the curiosities and interests you are hiding from the world? What would happen if you brought them to life in your work? For today's guest, his love for monsters, comic books, pop culture, and pro wrestling found its way into his work after a chance encounter with a Frankenstein pop funko. Now, Boris is everywhere, and it's awesome. Kyle Van Cleve of Deadbolt Design is a designer and illustrator who brings an attitude of fun and uniqueness to everything he does. In this conversation, Kyle and I bond over Guillermo del Toro and monster movies. He also shares his thoughts on why the Frankenstein story is the perfect analogy for understanding the relationship to our creative work, his love for storytelling, the challenges of rebranding his studio, and what it's like running a business with his wife, Ashley. Most importantly, we talk about what it means to support your local monster makers. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 694. Well, Kyle, welcome to Getting Work to Work. I got to say, I've been a fan for a long time. I don't know if it was the monsters or just your design aesthetic and the way that you uh, come at it, but uh, I just love what you do and I'm glad to talk with you today. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I sincerely really appreciate that. I too often in in the creative industries, I think when people get kind of above their station or up on a up on a pedestal a little bit, and um, I'm always humbled and appreciative when um, people find some inspiration in what what we do. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. I love the monsters on the wall behind you. And uh, before we get there, though, got a couple of questions just to kind of sure. loosen up before we uh, before we get serious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what are you endlessly curious about? Oh, what am I endlessly curious about? Um, where do you, uh, where do you start with that? Um, I, I'm pretty sure my ADHD is gonna is gonna have me tell you a bunch of things. Um, Excellent. But if I'm being honest, I'm I'm generally endlessly curious about like what comes next um, in life and in things. Um, always, you know, it's maybe a a blessing or a curse, but I'm always kind of looking down the road and. Uh, you know, I, I have a lot of hobbies and a lot of interests, but um, they come so quick and they <laughs> they go <laughs> just as fast. Um, so it's it's I'm always kind of waiting for the next thing to arise a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, I've got little kids. I've got an eight year old and a three year old. And so I'm generally endlessly curious about things that are going to are going on with them as they as they grow and get older and and kind of see things through their eyes and kind of go, oh, my goodness, I remember being that age and I remember partaking in that originally so um that's i would say those things i would say no what's next and and you know what's going on with my children yeah i love that and what i love about that too is is there's this question that gets asked a lot of times like in interviews like what's your five-year plan and i i like where you're kind of coming at what's next down the road and and it doesn't imply that there's no plan it just you know what's that next step i, I like yeah that i very i very much believe in taking things as they come and and um my dad used to always say be ready when it's your time and so i always kind of just translate that into you know life and um you know life's gonna throw you curveballs and everything so it's just yeah the, the what's next it's not looking down the road in a way that's like i'm not present in the moment but it's um you never know you never know what's coming and we all have the same destination at some point so <laughs> right kind of curious where the where the journey goes so yeah i love that you mentioned too that you have a lot of hobbies and that you know you get excited and then they kind of go away i can't relate to that at all one <laughs> bit but, uh, what is what is your current hobby or obsession my current hobby um is obviously um what you see behind you my current obsession <laughs> um i would say it's what you see behind you i've gotten to this point i've always you know the monster stuff i'm sure we'll get into it but um i really enjoy you know getting artwork done for our studio by other by other artists who are like way outside of the realm of what we do um and you can see a couple of those on the wall uh, and so it's like it's finding that next thing that i haven't seen yet or it's finding that thing that just you know um drives my interest i've been really into lately special effects makeup 
Oh, yeah. Which sounds ridiculous, but I, being a fan of the classics, I really have an appreciation for like the the creature feature kind of, you know, practical effects and Guillermo del Toro movies and stuff like that. So that's kind of kind of what I've been hot on lately is that kind of movie magic, less computer generated stuff and more practical effects. I just think that art form is um, I mean, I made I made Boris back here a couple of years ago and I was just like this was it was really fun, you know, putting together a full size prop. So I kind of started to follow people who do that and do mask making and and got down that again, that OCD and a, a obsessiveness of like having to consume something completely. That's that's been a lot of fun and really interesting. It's totally different art form. So I, I appreciate things that I can't do. I, I love that you mentioned Del Toro because he often tweets, I think on the weekends when he's putting together uh, models and, and sculptures uh, and yeah. it's always so intricate and detailed. Yeah. Things that he's putting together just for fun. Yeah. Um, you know, we people like myself, we we lovingly call ourselves monster kids. And uh, you know, we we in turn have started calling people who follow us coffin kids. Um uh, <laughs> Guillermo de Toro is like the king monster kid, you know. So he's he's definitely one of one of my favorite creative inspirations. Oh yeah. I I'm a huge fan of his work as well. I have the pop Funko of him just kind of over my shoulder here, some pans labyrinth, uh, NECA, uh, sculptures. I mean, this yeah. is incredible. Where his imagination goes. I don't know if you know, who Doug Jones is, but he's the guy who played pan who played, um, the shape of water creature. He played Abe Sapien and Hellboy. That man is amazing. And I'm a huge fan of his. And if you ever get a chance to listen to any of his interviews, he's, a genuinely awesome person um and i just yeah i would behoove any artist who does digital stuff to look at hand-done craft like that uh, it doesn't have to be special effects or 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 you know that kind of thing but um you know look at something that's kind of on the opposite spectrum of what you do yeah um, and that 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 can be a great creative boost yeah absolutely so you mentioned you're a monster kid like what was it as a kid that just drew you to monsters um so <laughs> monsters um it's, it's kind of funny to me that that's what people associate with me with now that's called that's propaganda marketing at its finest perfect well done it, it's kind of a, a long-winded answer i'll try to get back to the original question here <laughs> apologies so my i grew up with parents who were very eclectic in music and pop culture you know both grew up in the 60s and 70s the tv age right my dad was really big into Star Trek, the original series. It's my favorite Star Trek to this day. I remember watching Next Generation with, you know, Picard when I was a little kid with my dad. My mom lives for Halloween. It is like, I mean, it is her thing. It consumes her all year long. And when I was a kid, she used to hand make all of our costumes. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, yeah. And they were really elaborate. And uh, so I, I've got this innate love of entertainment um especially more on the spooky side i would say of stuff and i just remember being a kid in a small i, I live in a town of fifteen thousand, but when i was a kid it was about eleven thousand, and we're about an hour out of portland so an hour out of portland is like the sticks i mean it's not <laughs> like an hour outside of philly you're in another big city it's no it's it's <laughs> it's you're isolated and we had one video rental place and one grocery store none of them ever carried the classic monsters so like every once in a while they would pop up on like t uh tmc or tcm or whatever it is and um and i would get to watch the classic monsters my mom be like oh my gosh you gotta watch this and i vividly remember like watching the wolfman for this first time wow and being completely terrified but also enamored with it that just kind of created a love from there um there was a, a an interesting monster boom in like the mid to late 90s i think they kind of go in like these generational waves um and i remember being like the only kid in my school who cared about monsters and i couldn't find any content anywhere and kind of hid that passion a little bit yeah but i've always been a bit of a um been a bit of a nerd that's just been my avenue of obsession in nerddom has been uh, classic <laughs> monsters the frankenstein monster the frankenstein story has kind of got a whole different thing in and of itself for me and that could be a whole podcast in and of itself but uh <laughs> generally generally uh, my love for monsters is just a love for pop culture and that just happens to be the corner that i gravitate towards 
I love that. And what I love about that story too is that you you said that you felt like you had to hide that passion for monsters. At what point did you allow it to enter the spotlight and be something that you could build propaganda marketing around? <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, what we've used kind of for our business um, in terms of like our our theme, you know, the brand theme or whatever has kind of, you know, ebbed and flowed. Mm -hmm. And a couple of years ago, I was getting my flu shot with my wife on Halloween and uh, we were at a store and there was one Funko Pop on the on the counter and it was um, a Frankenstein monster Funko Pop. And I was I was like, I'm going to get that it's Halloween. You know, I had gone as the character in high school for Halloween party and everybody was like, oh, my God, it was great. Um, <laughs> and I loved that. And I remember seeing that it just brought up all those memories of being a kid. And I was like, awesome. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and I was like, you know, we already were using the the what has now been called monster green color for our brand, which was a little uh, which was underused when we started using it, interestingly enough. And um, it just kind of naturally started creeping its way into what we were doing. And I would say being a, being a fan of pop culture, like I've never stuck on one thing. Um, I wasn't like a monster squad kid. I wasn't uh, I wasn't like endlessly hooked to it. You know, I had other uh, other interests as a kid. I was a big pro wrestling fan, um, Power Rangers. You know, I got into sports at like nine. So I was really into basketball and I love characters. I, I absolutely love characters. I'm drawn to them. I'm drawn to stories of characters. And, you know, we live in a in an age of storytelling. And so it's not hard to find passion about stuff. But uh, monsters really helped me tell the story of what we're doing in a way that I felt was truly authentic. As I've been thinking about monsters and what from the outside it could represent as well, because since I can't enter your head and be like, <laughs> what does Kyle think? Uh, to me, there was something about resilience in in monsters. Like, for me, I think the the way we relate the the um, especially this the Frankenstein story to what we do, um, and I always am surprised people are you know when I tell them like how I view the analogy or the cross, and they're like, oh, you know, we have the shirts that support your local monster maker and stuff, and yeah. and I view that character that ever driven, uh, maniacal genius right that madness uh but also endlessly curious character of victor frankenstein and mary shelley's novel which is the birthplace of science fiction um and if you haven't read it people read it um it's about this big it's not very big <laughs> that character is driven to, perf to to perfect something he doesn't accept death as a viable option as a as an inevitable he wants to fix that and i look at that as a creative and i think that lines up so well with what we do um as designers and and um logoists and illustrators it's this endless pursuit of like a maniacal perfection but it comes from a place of um it doesn't come from a bad place it doesn't come from a harmful place it comes from a creative standpoint the monster in turn is a phys you know this monster is different you know that's his physical representation of his obsession right um, and so our work is our physical, is our digital or physical representation of our obsession and passions. And so I've always called it my monster. My work is my monster. My passion for things is my monster. It's a curse, right? So that's kind of where that tie-in for us has always been. And, and that, um, you know, that, that authenticness that always felt true to us. Have you always thought that deeply about that connection between things? Growing up in an age of storytellers and storytelling um, and entertainment and being able to consume as much as we have since, you know, in the last 33 years I've been alive, I always make things into stories. You know, um, we, my dad always jokes that when I was a teenager, talks about when I was a teenager, my, we would go to like Portland or something, go shopping. My mom and I'd be sitting in the car and people would walk by and we'd make up stories for what they were, what, <laughs> what was going on in their life or what they were doing and their occupation was. And, you know, these big elaborate tales about these people and, um, so I've always had kind of a, always kind of given things a, a deep thought. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a deep thinker, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I would, I, I do like stories. And so I, I always try to apply something like that to 
you know, what we're doing or, or try to make sense of something um, in that way. So, yeah. So what was it that took you into the realm of design and illustration? Comic books. That's the first thing that comes to my head. Comic books and Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, growing up in the early 90s, man, the, the wealth of stuff we had to deal with or we had to consume there again was, you know, I, I when I was, you know, three, four, five years old, it was Power Rangers and, you know, the Ninja Turtle movies and my cousin giving me all his original Ninja Turtle toys when I was a little kid and being indoctrinated into that world and that leading into, you know, my love of comic books and um, when I was, you know, eight, nine years old and Jurassic Park was the first movie I ever saw in theaters at three years old. I sat on a pillow. Um, I mean, I've got Jurassic Park stuff in here that that I told my wife when I die at my funeral, you're, and it's going to be on podcast now. She has to play the Jurassic Park theme, right? So <laughs> there, <laughs> it's just this creativeness and wanting to to partake in that. And I think what you do as a as a child is you draw it, right? You you want you want it, so you it's in your imagination, so you try to put it on paper. And that's kind of where the love of illustration came from. I stopped drawing, I would say, um, at about the age of 14 after my freshman year of high school. Um, I played sports, was into girls, wasn't cool <laughs> to be an art nerd <laughs> in the early 2000s. So I just stopped. Uh, didn't pick it up again until I was about 28. So that's a pretty big gap in time between illustrating. You know, I got my first iPad and that was like, that was a huge for me because I one thing I hated about, you know, live drawing is or analog drawing is I, I love details and I could never get close enough to the details. Having an iPad and having that digital ability to get close to it has been a game changer for me. Um, as far as design goes, I took a photography class in high school and it was still a dark room photography. So we were still doing the, the acid and all that kind of stuff and uh, the chemical um, development, but the back half of that class was Photoshop. That was my first indoctrination to what design could be. And I was endlessly curious to go back to your first point, um, about how they turned somebody's drawing for comic books into mass production, digital recreation. And so I didn't even know what like Adobe Illustrator was or Photoshop. I mean, I didn't know what you could do in Photoshop, but I knew there was something there, but, you know, I also had people around me, even my teacher, my art teacher and my and my photography teacher were like, there's not a career here. This is a hobby. Don't think about it. And so I never did. Wow. So it was always there artistically. It was always in the back of my mind, but it was never some the path I ever thought was a viable one. What made it viable? Uh, when I found out you could make money doing it and uh, <laughs> that I have terrible OCD and ADHD. And I knew that if I got started on it, I was going to go all the way into it. Um, and it's something that, you know, I get paid to do, but I, I love doing. My parents are are amazing people, um, but they grew up in a generation of you have one job for a long time or you don't leave a job without a job lined up or, you know, security and, and responsibility kind of thing. And, you know, they always try to kind of steer me away from doing something that was, you know, potentially harmful to me or my family and in and, and working for myself. But, you know, when it became viable to me, it became viable to everybody, which made it even more of a, you know, this is what I'm doing. That just blew my mind. When it became viable to you, it became viable to everyone. Yeah. I mean, that, there, that's, I mean, you say you're not a deep thinker, but you are. I'm, <laughs> I'm wagging my finger at you. Because, like, so much is a creative that gets in our way is whether we believe in it or not. Oh, yeah. My imposter syndrome is terrible. Um, but I think once you start to prove what you're doing and, uh, you know, they say the proof is in the pudding, right? So it's, uh, you, you've got to show people that what you're, what you're doing or you can't expect some, I mean, blind support is like unconditional love in a way. Like people are going to be like, yeah, good for you. Um, <laughs> but luckily I've always had parents who were kind of that, like, yeah, go, go for it. Good. You can do it. You know? And you're, you're kind of like, should I, should I do it? Um, and a family support system that's full of realists, but also, you know, I've got part of my family is glass half, glass half empty, part of it's glass half full, and a little bit of it's like, oh, I still have some to drink, you know? So <laughs> for me, it was like once I proved to people that what I was doing had some worth, then it was, you know, it's all hands on deck. And, and yeah, I mean, that's true for anything, though, right? I mean, 
I look at it like, um, oh God, I, I don't even want to relate to something and totally get reamed for it. Um, but there's a lot of things in life where if you are not a hundred percent in and authentic about it, then people can, people sniff it out. And I mean, that's true for anything and we'll probably talk about it, but you know, if I would have said, oh yeah, I, I mean, and I did for a long time, but I was like, oh yeah, I want to have a design business and people be like, okay, <laughs> you know, but until you actually go out and make it happen, yeah, um, you know, so. When you're sharing your stories, when, when you're getting excited, I see the combination of what you call fun and unique. I mean, it just pours out of you. Thank and, you. Uh, I just appreciate that because it's, it's, it's refreshing. I appreciate that because it's something I try to convey to people we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it says on our website, we don't take ourselves too seriously because that wouldn't be too much fun. I get to turn shapes and colors into meaningful symbols and and I get to connect lines and 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 make illustrations for people that are mostly ridiculous. I've never been a big fan of like designers and creatives and be, really anybody in in any in, in industry that um takes themselves too way too seriously like it's you know why yeah. <laughs> you know what's what's the point you're taking all the fun and joy out of what of what you're doing so I would say that the the funness and, and uniqueness for us is just that we we try to everybody says be different, but I I really try to be different in a way that feels approachable. Um, feels, you know, I know people come into our office and they see this stuff. You know, our landlord is an 82-year-old man and he walked in and saw <laughs> Boris. And I was like, this is, you know, he's an he's like an old, like a cowboy kind yeah. of guy, old school, rural cowboy. And he walked in and just started laughing. And he's like, I remember that from when I was a kid. He used to scare me. And I and he's just laughing, looking at it. And I thought, that's that's what I want is people to come into our space or people to work with us and people to not feel like, you know, well, we can't work with them because they use bright colors and have monsters. Like, no, we can work with them because that's just the way that it's an icebreaker kind of thing. Um, and it's fun. And we want to work with people who are fun and um fun and efficient but uh but fun i like that you give permission for fun to be something important because i i i think for a lot of my career seriousness was a driving force at least where i where i live and it's just like there was always this this chip on the shoulder of just like if you're not serious you're not a real creative oh absolutely and and i just thank you for that approach of fun being viable yeah i agree i told and that's kind of what happens when you i think especially when you first get into being a creative or a designer or whatever actually whatever you're doing and you (laughs) you want to make money right you want somebody the work we do and and people hiring us there's like a it's like insurance like there's like a risk factor that people have to go through so like if you're out there trying to get apple or one of the big studios or WWE or um, God, I just rattle off Coke, Google, the big ones, right? There's a, there's this idea that the, the more buttoned up you look, the less risky you appear to them. Right. Um, And they don't want to have to deal with somebody that they're going to have to hold their hand or they're going to, you know, like that's a real thing. And so when we first all get into the industry, especially on the brand aspect side, you look at the brand Titans, of, of years gone by bass and and um, rand and um all you know all these guys and they have this very serious madmen modernist old old man to be honest they were all old men um smoking a cigarette you know sitting in a studio you know a, a high-rise studio wearing ties and blazers all day it, that leeches its way into the perception of what we should be and shouldn't be i don't subscribe to that i i you know, I, I want to work with people who who look at us and go, you know what? I want I want to be I want to be a part of their universe or I want to I want to I want a bite of that apple because it and sometimes it happens. Sometimes you have to take on jobs that just aren't a, a perfect marriage, you know, but it's a paycheck um, and a um, and secret. That's the real side of owning your own business is not everything's a portfolio piece. Um, right. <laughs> but it's 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 finding those people who are like i really dig what you do and i think we're I th- and we we want to be a part of that not not the other way around so if you're not having fun and if you're not perpetuating fun and, and you know it's not always fun it's a business it's light it's hard yeah. um, not every job is is a walk in the park but 
for God's sakes, get to draw for a living. I get to, like I said, I get to put shapes on, on, on paper. I get to, you know, problem solve through creative lens. Like I, just taking myself or, or what we do too seriously would just bug me. And then you're right. The, the serious tone and the, the overly professional nature, there's a, there's a place for that. You know, there's studios and age, there's agencies and firms that, you know, that's, that's their thing. And that's the people they attract. I don't necessarily want to attract that kind of client. I want to work with somebody who's, you know, like our one of our clients at Not Dead Yet uh, clothing brand. Um, their owner is a maniac. Like he's a lunatic. He's like an endless ball of creative energy. And it's and we work in a way that is like a, it's an unspoken. Like he'll he'll give me like he'll have an idea and I'll turn it around and he'll be like, that's what I was thinking. And it's like that's the kind of thing that we want to attract. Yeah. To our lure, our shiny fish client lure. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you mentioned that though, because I think there's um, a perfect tie into that ma maniac mad scientist yeah. where you can bring it out of them as well and turn it yeah. into something that is positive and, and, yeah. and not destructive. Yeah. My three-year-old son loves to come into the office, turn off the lights and say, hit it. And I have to turn on the monster mash song. And there's a part in that song where he says, um, the ghouls all come from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrodes. And that is a perfect thing. I think a perfect quote for our studio <laughs> is, you know, we want people to come in and, you know, um, and, and get, you know, get energized yeah. and revitalized or, or to have, you know, to kind of get a secondary high a little bit off of what we're doing. Um, and that's, that's my hope at least something, you know, I, that may be ambitious and, and, a little, a little extra, but, um, that's, that's kind of our shtick. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I resonate more with wanting to get a secondary high from your creativity than I want to reach a billion people. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's funny. Say that I, we just read recently, I've had our design account in one form or another, whether it was under my name or wild giant name or the deadbolt name or whatever i've had had this specific account since like 2015 and when i started i told my wife ash i was like if if i can hit 5000 followers on here man i may just quit you know 2015 5000 followers seemed like a pretty big deal and now you know got you have accounts that are i think draplin's up to you know 250 plus and and lincoln design has you know surpassed the the 100,000 mark and we hit 5,000 and I, man, I wanted to have a party. Like I was, you know, I was so excited because to me, 5,000 people is like an authentic, legitimate following. It's a following that I can reach yeah. over and over again. It's people that, are, I mean, there's a, we do have a consistent engagement and I know it's not all about that, but I, when I want to spread our propaganda, let's say, um, I want people and our work that we're really excited about. I, I, I like knowing that a lot of the people who follow us are actually seeing it mm -hmm. and care about it. So yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. A billion, a billion followers is the <laughs> gross. <laughs> know, right? One of the things that you shared that really caught my attention was when you rebranded from Wild Giant Studios to Deadbolt Design. I mean, just just seeing that unfold was awesome and Thank so you. interesting. What were the challenges that you faced during that rebranding process, and how did you work through them? Because it's not easy to rebrand anything. Uh, no, uh, it's it's uh, the hardest project possible for creative is to rebrand or to brand themselves. Um, naming your business is worse than naming your child uh, because you know uh, they can change their name later in life if they want to. But when you're doing when you're doing it for yourself, there's so many things. So you know, Wild Giant, you know, there's a story in and of itself there, um, and I, I don't want to get too far down that road. But basically, my daughter came up with it. It wasn't supposed to be the name of the business or any business. I was unemployed at the time and we just needed some positivity. And so we had a, where I had been designing my, you know, we had kind of turned into the family art room and my daughter called it wild giant studio. And, um, people kept asking us like, what is that? You know, you know, I did podcasts and they would say doing a podcast with wild giant. And then they put my picture and I'm like, I'm not the wild giant. Like it's not my wrestling gimmick. It's not my nickname. It's not, you know, and then we would constantly be like, what's your name mean? What's your name mean? I mean, it was the first thing people asked us all the time. And it just, it got to a point where I was like, I don't, I think this is, it's overtaking what we're trying to do. And then it also became what we were becoming in an authentic sense was outgrowing that 
um, particular uh, branding, so to speak. And because it was never supposed to be the business name, it was really easy to kind of go, maybe we should audit this. Maybe we should step back and take some stock into, is this working for us? Does this still feel like this us? And when we came up with um, MXD, Monster by Design, um, and came up with the branding for that, it was like, I think that they don't feel connected anymore. We need to find a way to you know, make sure that these two things we're doing feel like they're on the same street, maybe just two different, you know, two yeah. different sidewalks, but on the same, on the same street. So, you know, we really dug into what that, what that was. And I would say the biggest challenges for that was the legal aspect. Mm-hmm. And I would, you know, you can name your business anything you want. And there, that's a whole discussion of itself, but, um, you know, like changing your LLCs and changing your taxes and changing, you know, EINs and all that stuff. So we actually ended up keeping the the original LLC, which we will change. Um, but that was the biggest one was, I think, the kind of the legal aspect because our company had gotten to such a size <laughs> where <laughs> you can't just, you know, flip over your Instagram account and your profile picture and be like, we've rebranded. No, it's like, oh, crap, I got to register all this and I got to do all this other stuff. And I didn't, I, that wasn't something I had thought about before we, right. we went down that road and quickly was like, uh-oh. Uh, this is going to cost us some money. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, moving to deadbolt, I will tell people if you're ever going to, when you're branding a business or or trying to figure out a name, like there's a couple of things I always suggest people do. And I don't ever give advice because I'm I'm not an expert on on anything, but uh, do the, do the grandma phone call test. Like if your grandma's going to call you and you're going to pick up the phone, and I've said this before in interviews, but like if your grandma's going to call you and you pick up the phone and you have to say this, hello, you've called, you know, Thank you for calling X business. You definitely don't want it to be something terrible. Um, (laughs) And in our business, you always want to be top of mind in the, you always want to be in the room, right? Mm -hmm. I always tell people, make sure you're, you're in the room when you're not present. So if you have a connection at at Disney and, and they're in a creative meeting or a marketing meeting and they're like, you know, we need this done. You want to be in that room. You want to be on that person's mind who can make those decisions or suggest. And you, you don't want it to be like, yeah, so we or or hey, we're we did some work for Pepsi and it's being presented to the CEO and somebody's like, well, we worked with Butthole Inc. Like that's <laughs> that's not gonna work, <laughs> you know. Like that's just, so those two things. Like how, how would you say it to your grandmother on a phone and and how would that sound to the president of the United States? Like you know, there's it doesn't have to be great and it can be unique, but you definitely don't want to. Some people are like, oh yeah, I'm gonna name my business this, and I'm like, oh no, like. You're just doing that for shock value. That's going to suck. But <laughs> I'm over here cringing because I'm remembering what my first business was called. <laughs> I, I registered Xenozoidal with X's. Oh, no. Yeah, it was horrible. Like, it sounds great. It, it sounded great. But when you look at it in, in like actual written form, you're like, Zexenzoid? Like, how do you pronounce X? <laughs> yeah, we went through a list. Uh, man, I've got a graphic of like all the logos. This is how I knew things weren't right. Because I would find one, I would run with it for like a week, like a business name, and then I would kill it. You know, I would brand it and then I would kill it because it just didn't, I just didn't feel it. And I've got a list, man. I've got, and I branded all of them and I've got logos and stuff. I'll have to share that on my Twitter, or my website, or Behance or something someday where it's just like, you know, we had some, we had some really rough names that I was like, oh yeah, this is great. It's what I'm into at the time. <laughs> Did not work out great. <laughs> so is this where partnering with your wife, Ashley, really helps to bring balance when you have those, those ideas, and then you're coming back around to creating something timeless? Yeah. So first off, balance is an absolute myth. That is a lie made up by people who either don't have kids or don't have a life. Um, uh, Balance balance is like perfection. It's something you strive for, but it's not something you ever achieve. Right. Um, If if balance was something you could you could, you know, you could have, then people would only do yoga a few times. Right. You know, it's like there's, you know, if I continually have to meditate or continually have to do these things to achieve balance, I'm not achieving balance. I'm, I'm I'm in search of it. Um, so balance is a myth. It's something you chase. Um, so I, I, nothing in my life is at all balanced. Um, but Ashley does a good job at, um, I look at life and things we do. I, I look at like a boat or like on an ocean, right? So you're a boat and, and you're, you know, sometimes the waves are, are rough and Ashley acts as, you know, she's the keel, right? She's that the, the what keeps the boat steady. She's what keeps the boat moving. 
um, she's the one that keeps us afloat. Um, I always tell people like I'm the grunt labor here. You know, I'm the only I'm the, the only one who does the creative stuff. But that's such a you know, people are like, what's it like being a, you know, a, a designer having your own business or whatever? I'm like, it's like doing the fun stuff's like 20% of the job, you know, um, and it's not for everybody. Um, Ashley does the other 80%. And so when it comes time to be able to do things, like you said, that are timeless or um, to work through issues, her taking on the bulk of the stuff for the, the business has allowed me to to kind of step back and be more thoughtful when we're doing that kind of stuff. And she's a great sounding board. She'll, she'll never, she's never once told me that she doesn't like something I've made, but she'll always, yeah, I can always tell by the way she says it, that it's not good. <laughs> if she goes, yeah, hell yeah, that freaking rocks. I'm like, okay. But then she'll be like, yeah, that's cool. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> ouch. I'm going to start over on that one. Or she'll go, yeah, I like it. And I'm like, but what, but what, you know, but what's the problem? Um, so that to me is perfect. Like, that's just that perfect. Hey, what, Hey, what do you think of this? And she's like, that's cool. I'm like, nope, we're not there yet. You know? So that's, I would say, I would say balance is a myth, but you can find somebody that helps balance your or offset, not balance, but offset what you don't do. Right. You know, what you don't do well, that, that yin and yang thing. And she's, she's the perfect yin to my yang. That's cool. I like stories like that. I remember watching the Phil Tippett documentary where he basically credits his wife for keeping the studio afloat when you know yeah. Jurassic Park happened. And yeah. then from practical dinosaurs to CG, he was ready to just cash in and be like, Well, I guess we're out of business. And she's yeah. like, No, we gotta, we got people to pay, we got things to do. Yeah. And that guy, I mean, that story is um, actually, she actually just walked in. Um, but uh, that that story for that guy, not to sidebar, is absolutely devastating and insane. Um, but again, it kind of and I know that because, again, my kind of that current obsession of like practical effects and stuff. Um, but yeah, Ashley is the one um, I probably would have missed this podcast had Ashley not reminded me this morning. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, that's I always joke with people I know who are kind of solopreneurs, I think it's kind of the hot word right now, or running their own business. Like, you got to get yourself an Ashley, you know, get an Ashley, you know, let's say, well, what, well, you know, what are you doing that's helping? I have an Ashley. Mm -hmm. So um, if you can find somebody that like that, um, you know, or a partner in life or a friend or whatever that can you can work with or you can, you know, that can offset your your stuff, then. I highly recommend it. <laughs> well, I love that you mentioned a little bit. I can talk today. I love, <laughs> I love that you mentioned take three. I love that you mentioned monster by design. And mm -hmm. I think it's pretty cool that you not only do the client work, but you have the kind of merch shop kind of approach as well. Is yeah. that something that allows you to play and try things out before you're on the clock for a client? Yeah. So, First, I mean, the, the big thing is I'm a designer and like the first thing we all want to do is like make merch and try to sell stuff. It's such a weird, innate thing. Like we want to put things on T-shirts and make enamel pins and it's just ridiculous. Um, and so like I tried that through Wild Giant and I was just like, why? Why would people want to wear Wild Giant Studio? Why Why would they want to do that? <laughs> you know, like there's we, we're not, you know uh we're not obey you know we're not um we're not some big design i mean we're not lincoln design we don't have like some big brand behind us that we're we're pushing and so i had started sharing some more of my personal artwork on our page because it was like well it was either my personal artwork on my personal page or artwork on my design page and of course it's you know it was very monster centric or kind of horror themed and like it just killed our our, our account and I was like, well, that's probably not a good idea. Um, and so I was like, how do we separate these things? I want to do these art pieces that are more art pieces, kind of get back to my roots of, you know, being more of a, a not a fine artist, but kind of that fine art of, of um, at least within the realm of what I already do. And the theme, the monster theme and 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 continue to do that because I, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by it. And so we had kind of, We'd originally called it monster makers and that was that was great because it fit the theme of what you know what we believe in but at the same time it was 
people are like, so do you make masks or do you do visual effects or all that kind of stuff? And I was like, oh man, that's, we're getting into like competing with Stan Winston here. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, and then there's no competing there. It's more or less, you know, you know, riding coattails and no, we don't do that stuff. So, you know, right before Christmas, I was like, I, this isn't going to work. I'm going to scrap this whole idea. The name's not right. The brand's not right. And so Ashley was like, audit it you know, and, you know, figure out. And so I just started, I just started writing words, you know, I was like, what were the words that I wanted to play with? And monster by design came up, um, you know, because that term of being something by being by design was, it was intentional. Right. And the fact that it mixed with <laughs> me being a designer, I was like, Oh crap, that works out great. And once I had the name man, that the, the brand just came out and I got to be really expressive. And so you see a lot of monster by design branding also kind of translate to deadbolt. Um, in the way in the way that we've positioned it because um it started to feel authentic right and the artwork i we were able to put out and the merch we were able to put out it's a lot more specific it's a lot more obvious audience targeted right i'm i'm obviously making stuff that i would think would appeal to um other monster kids um and that was nice it was nice to be able to go you know to have fun with stuff i was making for myself it also allows the creative juices to be extremely more free flowing when I work on client stuff, because I've now put my personal energy when you have a design ADHD or obsessive or obsessive design compulsive disorder. Um, <laughs> I, you tend to like start to work on something for somebody and you go, Oh, Hey, I could do that with some of my stuff. And like, then all of a sudden you're gra you're gravitating back to your own work. Um, it allowed me an opportunity to like get out what I wanted to get out. Yeah. for myself and then like get back to and dive in completely into what we were working on so it's been nice because it hasn't been something where we're like this has to be a, a viable part of our business it's hey i've got an idea we can turn around and do a, a little run of prints we can do some stickers we can do this you know we have we have grand plans for it but i think that's just innate to being a business owner you're like oh man we're gonna do this <laughs> uh, you know we'd like we'd like to go to monster palooza and have a table you know, oh, cool. and sell some of our stuff we'd like to do. But again, that's it's not something we're pushing. It's just if it happens, it happens because it's a fun. It's supposed to be kind of that fun, creative release from yeah. the stuff you get paid for. And what's great about that, too, is I think for any creative listening to this, having something apart from a client so that you can pour energy into the right areas, because it's like not everything works for a client. And if you're putting expectations in the wrong area everyone yeah. loses yeah and if your mind's not fully in it right i mean people are hiring us to pass a vision or an idea through creative lens and if that lens is fogged up by stuff you're thinking about on for something else right mm -hmm. um which we all do but we're always going to gravitate towards the stuff that excites us and generally that's the stuff we do for ourselves mm -hmm. so if you can do that and get it out, get it out of the way, set aside time for it, you know, don't, don't do it, you know, it because, you know, make it part of the job, but don't make it a job, right? Like be like, I need to give myself time to be creative for myself. That will benefit everybody in the long run. So yeah, not everything works for every client. Um, and, and sometimes they don't, you know, unfortunately we live in an era where social media is like the new billboard or the new phone book. And if you're not putting your best foot forward, you're not attracting, you're, you're not giving yourself an opportunity to succeed i you know which sucks because you want to and that's kind of the again the reason we came up with mxd and why we're doing it the way we are is because i wanted to share my excitement for some of this work and some of the stuff we were doing these ideas we had um but it just wasn't the right platform to integrate it with our you know business stream of stuff so well, how can people support their own local monster makers that's <laughs> one of my favorite taglines that you have oh that's awesome so i actually wrote this one down because i, I thought about it right like <laughs> you know i talked about it earlier about the monster maker the you know being kind of like this personification of your passion right or this or or you being the 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 the, the maniacal genius in that sense and, and the monster being the the physical interpretation or the physical manifestation and but i look at that with like it's like anything it's like any creative industry it's any craft like you know some guy owning a food truck it's anybody with a passion, like, you know, who's out there doing their own thing. Um, we always tell people like, we really want to work with people who are just as passionate about what they're doing as we are about what we are doing. 
we love working with athletes. I mean, that we've kind of fallen into the fitness industry uh, in that way, but it's, you know, people who are really passionate about what they're doing. And, and so that, that to me, those are monster makers, right? Those are the guy, like I said, the guy in a food truck who's, you know, supporting his family, living his dream, the, you know, the, the, the small baker, the, you know, the farmer, the, you know, it doesn't matter. Like generally any small business, any freelancer, any studio, a little studio, that's that's your local monster maker that's your person who's you know out hustling and so to me it's just like this it's a it's a way to appeal to the 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 broad spectrum of people but also like the, the people who think like we do and like what we do um and you know like monsters and stuff but yeah it's always like i said it's um, always been a bit bigger than just the surface level thing and so and i've always liked those you know support your local artisans and support your local whatever and i'm like what about the people who are sewing people together and making monsters out of them? That's messed up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there's some kid out there who wants to be, you know, a, a maniacal genius. We should sh support him too. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, those kind of people are, are, are like Elon Musk nowadays, you know, they're in, in endless pursuit of making things better. And sometimes you make it worse. So. Yeah. That's the, the dual edged blade of obsession yeah. and, passion and yep. all the things that enable things to happen in today's world yeah i mean god i i really wish people i mean it's funny because I, I relate so much of you know what the the character of victor in the in mary shelley's book goes through but the, you know when he first makes the the creature it's in the first like chapter of the book like i mean it just happens like that right and he he's obsessed by it and then he makes it and then as soon as it comes to life he's terrified of it and he hides from it and he runs from it and he becomes sick and almost dies from the anxiety of having it made it and like being regretful and stuff and i always tell people i'm like you know there's that little bit to everything right there's that you try so hard to make something perfect for all the right reasons and sometimes when you're done with it you're like man what have i done or the, any, anything in life you might argue a point with somebody you might stand your ground on something and and, and be passionate about it and, and maybe push people back a little bit and um you know then you know days months or weeks or years later you kind of look back i think we all do that with teenage memories where you're like oh that's bad and it gives you like that weird bolt of anxiety <laughs> you know it's just like oh no so it's like you know sometimes sometimes you don't have to some push and sometimes things don't have to be perfect they just you know, perfect is the enemy of good. And, um, you know, if you're chasing perfection, that's fine. But if you get to good, that's probably, that's probably enough. Man, I was going to ask you what wisdom you would like to leave with the audience, but I think you just dropped the mic on that. that oh topic. man, I, I will. I, I, I do have, I do have some wisdom for, for people. I do. I do want to say be authentic, right? Don't give a shit. Don't, it's hard but don't 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 worry too much about what people think about you and be authentic it's easily people can sniff out when you're not authentic they can drag you um you know the, the big thing right now is be like be your authentic self and it's 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 true you know too many too many like a kid like me you know i i hid the things i was into i was i hid my my love for pro wrestling because it wasn't cool i hid my love for comic books because it wasn't cool um you know i and as an adult, I'm like, hey, I don't care what people think anymore. And um, it's a bummer because it's it feels like it's 20 years too late. So um, I think people gravitate now towards our our studio and our business in a way because we're authentic. We're not trying to hide behind a lens or a, a curtain. You know, we're not uh, we're not doing the Wizard of Oz kind of thing. So, yeah, be authentic and, and, and have fun and, and don't care what people think about you. Nice. I mean, obviously you want to care a little bit about things, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't, you don't, don't care too much to the point where it, it literally stops, takes all the joy out of things. Well, final question for you, Kyle, since, yeah. since you've mentioned pro wrestling several times, <laughs> I, I love that you tweeted about rest and power to the iron Sheik. I know yeah. for myself, baby. that was my era of wrestling, like the eighties <laughs> and early nineties. Cause you know, it was the era of just it wasn't too flashy. It was, they yeah. didn't quite take themselves so seriously yet. Yeah. Rock and wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> me, Gene Okerlund, all those guys. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about the, the era of the manager. Oh, it's like yeah. the Jimmy Hart, mouth of the South, Bobby, the brain Heenan. Yeah. 
And uh, I had to ask if you could be a manager for any pro wrestler, who would it be for and what would be your weapon of distraction? Okay, first off, that's a terrible, that's a terribly mean question. (laughs) Oh, man. So I I do love pro wrestling. Um, I, 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 my era, obviously, I grew up in the Attitude Era 90s, right? But my dad always talked about being a kid and Portland wrestling, which was a huge territory at the time. And then like going all around the state and him seeing them in gyms and armories and just the idea that you could show up to your local gym and and you might get to see Andre the giant because he's doing a favor for the promoter. You, you know, you see Roddy Piper, Jesse Ventura. Um, and I, the, the names, you know, you go on and on about the guys. So I love the territory days. I love those stories, the, the show, the tales from the territories and, and dark side of the ring and stuff like that. I just, I love that stuff because I pro wrestling was like such a wild, <laughs> wild industry for a long time. People, you know, it was like this living theater that people were, they thought was real. And it's just that it's just crazy to me, um, but it's awesome. And these guys live that life. And so it's really hard for me to pick a wrestler. I mean, obviously there's guys who I just look at and I go, man, that would have been so much fun to be on the road with them, with them. Um, would have been so much fun to be a part of their gimmick, you know, like Ric Flair. <laughs> Ric Flair's, I mean, his gimmick was, I mean, I think he lived his gimmick about as much as anybody could. Yes. Imagine running roads with him and the four horsemen. I mean, it just would have, <laughs> would have been nuts. I would have liked to have been the manager of a guy who could talk, right? Mm-hmm. Like a stone cold would have been fun. But, you know, I think his character was so much of a, of a solitary thing that you couldn't have done that. But yeah, somebody in the 80s, like a, like a Flair. Or, or Dusty Roads, or a Macho Man, oh yeah, uh, that would have been fun. Um, macho Man would have been a good one. <laughs> um, and and meth, ugh, the weapon of distraction, because because Jimmy had the the, the bullhorn, right? Yeah, um, he did. Shoot, I don't know, like a cowbell. <laughs> I, I have no idea. <laughs> it has to be something ridiculous and that exactly. makes noise and is you can be used as a weapon, right? So yeah, I don't know. A cowbell would be a good one. That would be awesome. A big heavy cowbell. I don't know. So yeah, something obnoxious, something definitely obnoxious. But I always kind of fancied myself as when I was a kid, like I used to think of myself in because I was very shy. I was one of those. I'm one of those, uh, what do you call it, introverted extroverts or extroverted introverts where it's like I'm shy, but I like I use being an extrovert as a way of like a defense. And that was really evident as a kid. And when I started watching wrestling and seeing people like Stone Cold, it was like I tried. I like I became a character, you know, and I always joke with people, too, that having a brand is like having a wrestling gimmick, you know, with anything you do. It's like you have to kind of play this character part, you know, so that that's been a huge part of my life. I don't know if I could have ever been a manager, though. Maybe they don't get in the ring that much. And I've always thought, man, I should have been a wrestler. And then I thought, nope, I don't want to don't want to hurt myself. So, yeah, I guess being a manager might have been a good idea. Commentator that every once in a while gets a chair shot. That wouldn't have been bad either. (laughs) There were so many quotes I wrote down while editing this episode. Things like my work is my monster. Having a brand is like having a wrestling gimmick or everyone needs an Ashley. But I'm going to come back to support your local monster maker, whether it's a farmer at your local farmer's market or someone you follow on Instagram. Reach out and say hello. Thank them for what they do. Buy what they're selling when you can and be sure to spread the word. We need more monster makers who are creating authentic experiences and trying to bring their obsessions to life. So the question that I have for you is this. Who are you going to connect with today? Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.